The next case was presented by Dr. Leonard Siegel to Drs. Graylow and Bud. This is a 40-year-old who five years ago underwent a right mastectomy and sentinel node sampling for a one-centimeter poorly differentiated grade 3 invasive ductal carcinoma. She was noted to have one small focus of tumor in the perinodal soft tissue on the sentinel node sampling. Both estrogen and progesterone receptor were positive. HER2 knew was 3-plus by immunohistochemical staining. She received six cycles of cytoxin, adriamycin, 5-fluorouracil. In September 03, she started tamoxifen, but in August 2005, she decided to discontinue tamoxifen because she wanted to attempt to become pregnant. She failed to become pregnant and advised me on her last visit that she's now scheduled for embryo implantation this March. And prior to that procedure, she'll have numerous hormonal manipulations, including estrogens and Lupron, etc., which was giving me a few gray hairs. The only other bit of information, she did test negative for BRCA1 and BRCA2. And she was IHC3+, plus. she was HER2 positive. Yes. So she's ER positive, HER2 positive, but she was diagnosed before the adjuvant trials came out, February so she's never had. Can you talk a little bit more about her, her social situation, and her thoughts about pregnancy? You know, she's a very well put together 40-year-old, actually looks much younger than 40 years. She has a supportive husband who totally supports the pregnancy. He's basically has accompanied her to every visit she's had in the several years that I've known her. They're aware that there might be some risk of the breast cancer recurring, but she's determined to give it a shot. So, Julie, can you talk about the issue first of pregnancy after breast cancer and, you know, what you advise patients about it, and then specifically about, you know, embryo implantation and other strategies and how that might relate to breast cancer? So we're never going to have a randomized trial of pregnancy or not after breast cancer. You know, the data that we have suggests that, you know, once you get out beyond six months or so, that there is no increased risk. And obviously, the healthiest women are the ones who get pregnant, and it's very biased in terms of who does get pregnant. But the data out there would suggest that women who do have a pregnancy after breast cancer have longer survival. I think it's biased by it's healthy women who get pregnant. But there's really nothing. Once you get outside the peri-pregnancy period of six months plus minus, you know, that suggests that you get worse outcomes. So I have a lot of patients who at least attempt pregnancy afterwards. Now, and we always have the debate about, you know, two years of tamoxifen and then stop because, of course, if you continue for five years of tamoxifen, you're starting to lose the fertility time period. So there's always that debate. And I do have women who will go off tamoxifen partway through a five-year course. And we have, after delivery, in some cases, restarted partly for the second primary issue and all. As far as methods of achieving pregnancy, I don't think there's any data on, you know, the embryo implantation and all of these other methods in a post-breast cancer treatment setting. And I frankly don't know enough about it, and I don't know if, Tom, if you've looked at this, as to the kinds of hormonal manipulations that you need to get the embryo to take here, if they're really dramatically different than the wild changes that happen during a normally conceived pregnancy. I mean, there's huge fluctuations and all, just in a normal conception. So I would need some help as to are these dramatically different, you know, hormonal fluctuations or not. I think we have, you know, in a sense, been 
told that we are failing our survivors. You know, the Institute of Medicine report about cancer survivorship lost in transition, that we aren't paying enough attention to these issues. And this woman, this is her life. This is something critically important to her. And, you know, I think I sometimes talk about adoption and really high-risk women and all. But even in those women, they might die of their breast cancer, but they'll say, this is what I want in my life. And I think we kind of are obligated to support them, talking about all the different options. Tom, any thoughts? I mean, she's told you what her priorities are by stopping the tamoxifen. Medically, it would be better to continue it. So she has made a choice right there that childbearing is more important to her than that risk of recurrence by the additional three years of tamoxifen. You know, whether this attempted in vitro fertilization is going to increase her risk, I don't think we know. There are some small trials looking at embryo harvest kind of postoperatively prior to initiation of therapy very small series in small double digits that indicate as compared to matched controls, there's no increased risk, but it's not a lot of data. And it's by, you know, case control design, not sufficient follow-up. So I think we don't really know the answer to that. I think you did the best you can, which is to say you're worried about it. Marianne? I have a couple of patients that have had breast cancer after in vitro fertilization. And I have one in particular who is really hot to get this looked at because she's really very angry that she went through this, then got breast cancer and feels that that was the cause of her breast cancer. I mean, I don't think there's any studies looking to see how many breast cancer patients we find in people who've had in vitro fertilization or, you know, have gone through the Clomid and all of that. But it worries me because I'm hearing it more and more. I don't know if that's because we're doing it more and more, but this is a young woman. I mean, she's 35. So that's just my thought. What I see much more often is complaints of dyspareunia and vaginal atrophy, urinary tract infections. And what I've been using is E-string, at least in the women who I think are pretty low risk for recurrence. But I would like your thoughts on using vaginal estrogens in these women. I guess if the patient's on tamoxifen, I worry much less about it. And in that case, I think something like E-string is reasonable. We know that tamoxifen works in premenopausal women, so I'm less concerned about it. In someone on an aromatase inhibitor, at least with Vagifem, there's some data that you do see some absorption that, in theory, could be concerning. Now, you know, whether that affects their recurrence risk, we don't know. You only have sort of ultra-sensitive estradiol assays indicating there's some absorption. E-string, I believe, is a little bit less than that, but you know, in a patient on a Rome inhibitor, I try to not do it, but there are some patients who are miserable otherwise. I agree. I think we'd all feel more comfortable if we had a bit more data, but I use vaginal estrogens. I try to use them in the smallest amount that's effective. I prescribe the estrogen in my patients if I've tried other things and it's time to try it at vaginal estrogen. Our gynecologic endocrine person who I talk about this with a lot and I say, what kind of study should we do, says that the estrogen is actually coated with a little bit of extra estrogen on the surface and then permeated within it has the slow-release estrogen. So that if you really were worried about a little initial spike as it was inserted because of this coating and in very careful studies where they've drawn blood in women right after they've inserted an estering and then over a period of time, with very sensitive assays, not the kind of assays we have access to, they can see a little tiny blip in the serum occasionally. But she says if you soak 
the S-string for like 30 minutes in water before inserting it, you don't see this. Now, this is little data, you know, but if you and your patient were really concerned about that little brief blip as opposed to that kind of chronic effect, you could do that. I don't recommend that. But if a patient's really kind of freaked out about it, but I think really needs it, I'll let them do that. I'm not sure I'm achieving anything. I think this gets to the issue of the pregnancy too, which is, could there be a tiny little real risk? Maybe, but I'm not starting it until I know these women are really being impacted by their vaginal atrophy. And I've tried replens and, you know, other kinds of non-hormonal things. And so I think we've got to look at the whole patient.